0: found in Luke chapter 22, verses 63 through 71. Let us now hear the word of the living God. And the men that held Jesus mocked him and smote him. And when they had blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him, saying, Prophesy, who is it that smote thee? Many other things blasphemously spake they against him. And as soon as it was day, the elders of the people and the chief priests and scribes came together and led Jesus into their council, saying, Art thou the Christ? Tell us. And he said unto them, If I tell you, ye will not believe. And if I also ask you, ye will not answer me, nor let me go. Hereafter shall the Son of Man sit on the right hand of the power of God. Then said they all, Art thou then the Son of God? And he said unto them, Ye say that I am. And they said, What need we any further witness. We ourselves have heard of his own mouth. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. O Lord, our God, we do come this morning and plead with thee that thou wouldst give us ears that would hear thy word preached, that thou wouldst give us minds that we might understand, that thou wouldst give us hearts we might indeed embrace this Christ. We might have great affection for this one who came and died for us. In the words of my mouth, meditation of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. There are many cases in legal history where we have seen a travesty of justice and equality. Henry McCollum, who was 19, and his brother Leon, who were 15, were charged with the gruesome murder of an 11-year-old girl in North Carolina in 1983. Both brothers were black and were intellectually disabled. But both brothers were coerced in confessing guilt, and the police fabricated evidence against them. They were never allowed to have an attorney present in their encounters with the police. They were put into prison for 31 years, and later released when evidence came forth proving their innocence. As Charles Dickens said, the law is a donkey. It is stupid and very stubborn. Often justice and equality are elusive in many criminal trials, and certainly this is the case in the trials of the Lord Jesus Christ." One former Lord Chief Justice of England once said that the trial of Jesus was the greatest monstrosity of justice in the annals of legal history. But as we come to this account in the Gospel of Luke, it becomes a little difficult for us to follow all of this because we're thinking of following things chronologically are following things in order. But remember, in the first century, they did not think in the same way that we often think. And yet Luke, in his account, gives the t- detail of the trials after Judas and Peter betray him. In Matthew and Mark, it's before. And so the order is reversed. And yet here in this account... And we see in all four gospels that there were six trials that were carried out against Christ. We oftentimes think that it was just one trial, but there were six trials. The six trials of Jesus were three religious trials and three civil trials. And here are the results of those trials. The three Jewish trials, which were the religious trials, where Christ was proclaimed a sinner. That first religious trial is recorded in John chapter 18, where Jesus stood before Annas, who gives the signal for Jesus to be executed. In the second religious trial, the high priest Caiaphas in Matthew chapter 26 gives the decision to bring the sentence of death upon Jesus for the charge of blasphemy because he proclaimed himself the Messiah, Son of God. Here we see the third religious trial in Luke chapter 22 and in Matthew chapter 27 where the decision of that religious trial... Conducted by the Sanhedrin is death. But in the three Roman trials, which were the civil trials, Jesus was proclaimed innocent. Remember the O.J. Simpson trial? There was the the, uh, civil trial, and he was found guilty. And then in the uh, other trial, he was found innocent. And it's the same here. Jesus was found guilty by the Jewish Leaders in those religious trials, but by Rome, in the civil trials, he was found innocent. But as we look at our text this morning, we see here that third trial that is carried out by the Sanhedrin. So this morning we look particularly at those trials that are listed here in those verses before us. Jesus was arrested as soon as he left the garden of Gethsemane. He had no more finished praying in that garden when they came to arrest him and to take him. If you look back to verse 54, when Jesus is confronted by the multitude, when he's confronted by those religious leaders who came to arrest him, verse 54 says they took him and led him and brought him into the high priest's house, and Peter followed from afar. So here in verse 54, as we saw last week, Jesus is arrested and taken at night to the house of the high priest. And as he is taken there, we see that he is not only arrested and arraigned before the high priest, but they immediately, verses 63 through 65, mistreat him. Now in our system, there is to be, and there is, of course we know this, there's never any mistreatment of one who is, Accused of a crime. Now remember, Jesus is already found guilty before there's a trial. And so they begin to mock him and strike him. They begin to blindfold him and ridicule him and, and uh, bring all forms of blasphemy against him. And it is at night in the house of the high priest that this is taking place. He has not been charged and is already condemned. The mistreatment at the hand of wicked men and false witnesses. There is no regard for the law. They violate the law bearing false witness against your neighbor. They violated every aspect of the law of God. But here, it's a Violation of the Old Testament law to charge someone at night. And also there was to be no private trials. So where's this trial taking? In the house of the high priest. This is not a public trial. This is a private trial. This is a private inquisition. And here, as we see in the text before us, that Jesus stands before them. We find that as he is mocked, as he is struck, and they perhaps would use clubs to strike him. Perhaps they use the hand to strike him. At one point, Jesus was, was hit in the face and here we see in verse 64 that they had blindfolded him. And as they blindfolded him so that they, he could not see, they begin to ask him, saying, Prophesy, who is it that smote thee? They're playing a game. They want him, if he claims to be a prophet, if he claims to be who he says, then prophesy, begin to give us some prophecy. And verse 65 tells us that there were many other blasphemous things that they spoke against him. But notice in the text, Jesus never responds. How would we respond in a similar situation? We would certainly not respond in the way that Jesus did. And yet, when we look at this text, there's a silence. There's a patience in the Lord Jesus Christ, unlike any other man. This man is no ordinary man that he could stand and with withheld the The beatings and the mockings and the the blasphemy that he was accused of. All of these things no man could certainly withstand. But here is a fulfillment of a prophecy. In Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 6. And in that prophecy... The prophet Isaiah says this. I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting for the Lord God will help me Therefore shall I not be confounded therefore have I set my face like a flint and I know that I shall not be ashamed he is near that justifieth me who will contend with me let us stand together who is mine adversary let him come unto me here then this Servant passage. It speaks of one who is to come. Called the servant. Who would be submissive. Who would withstand the ridicule. Who would withstand all of those physical things that is done to his body. And it clearly fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah. But notice the language. I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked out my hair and did not hide from shame and from spitting. The prophet says that this servant gave himself to his smiters, that the servant gave himself to those who accused him. He did not shy. He did not turn away. He did not try to hide himself or turn away from these things that took place. But he stood and he gave himself. Here we find that he willingly offered himself to receive suffering without resistance. Jesus never once resisted. Jesus knew this hour would come. Jesus knew that this would happen. If you and I knew that someone was coming after us and we were innocent, what would we do? We'd probably run and hide. We would flee. But not Jesus. Because he willingly offered himself to fulfill that mission. That he as the suffering servant comes make himself a ransom for many. The more I read this account of the suffering and passion of the Lord Jesus Christ, the more it causes my own heart to weep that my Savior bore it all, that he died in my place, in my place condemned he stood, in my place he pardoned me with his blood. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Oh, we cannot fathom the depths of what took place in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. But here we see the actions of corrupt and wicked men those who brought false charges against him. And in most cases, we would turn insult to injury. We would turn and flee or fight back. But here we see the calm submission of our Savior. We see the calm resistance to the insults and here it shows the depth of his love for his elect it is the love of Christ for sinners that draws us unto himself it is the love of Christ it is his love for all of his elect that he offered himself willingly to be mocked to be smitten as the servant says as the prophet says of the servant in Isaiah 53 he was despised he was rejected of men here is what the prophet describes as a man of sorrow one acquainted with suffering grief he could have stopped this he could have said you know what I'm guilty as charged. Everything you say is is true. I submit myself to whatever you have willed to do. And yet in the will of God, even before the creation of the world, the Father willed that the Son be rejected by men, that He suffer and die, that He drink that bitter cup of suffering, that cup of which he spoke of there in the garden, Father, if it be possible, remove this cup from me, that cup that shows the vicarious substitutionary atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ to save sinners. And as Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 reminds us, for the joy set before him, he went forth He was despised and yet drank the very dregs of that cup. Oh yes, the calm submission of the Savior is depicted here. The patience of the Lord Jesus Christ, even with his enemies. Here is a lesson for us, saints of God, that we should forbear all murmuring all complaining and all irritation of spirit when we are ill-treated for the cause of Christ. Even in my own life, I've seen that even from those closest to me, my own family. The rejection and, and at times the, the ridicule. And yet we find here that we are to bear patiently under those things. For if we are servants, if we are followers of Christ, then we should face the same insult that Christ did. And here's the example that we should walk in his steps, do as he did, not offering ourselves as a ransom for sin, obviously, but that we might, by example, follow him no matter what trial, difficulty we may go through. I think it's a misnomer, and it's not just a misnomer. It's an error for people to think that to become a Christian is such an easy decision to make. Well, first of all, it's not a decision because you make no decision. Because your heart is dead in sin you're far from God. And second of all, you cannot make a decision because Christ will save whomsoever he wills. And yet we are called to follow him and to give our allegiance unto this one. It is Difficult road to follow Christ. But those whose hearts are changed. Those who are endeared to the Savior. Will find the strength just as the prophet said of Christ. God will give strength. In that day. And so let us learn from our Savior. That we are called to be patient. That's not easy. Because we are sinful. Jesus was impeccable. Without sin. And yet we learn that God grants strength to his people. We might stand up there under every load and trial that comes our way. Not only do we see the trials of the Lord Jesus Christ, we see the testimony of Jesus. I think this is so important to note that particularly in Luke's account, he, he lays out the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. As they spoke blasphemies against him, verse 66 tells us that the chief priests and the scribes came together and led him into their council. And as they led him, they began to interrogate him. Art thou the Christ? Tell us. Art thou the Son of God? Tell us. They begin to demand him to give testimony. Notice here in the testimony of Jesus, he doesn't give some elaborate detail. He doesn't pontificate. Oh, I am Jesus Christ, the Savior. No, he simply answers their questions. Art thou the Christ? Tell us. And he said to them, if I tell you, ye will not believe. We see this clearly in the Gospel of John. That the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders, as it's it's recorded there in John's Gospel, they accuse him and they are ready to condemn him for claiming to be the Son of God. And he often says, if I tell you, you will not believe. Here, they didn't want an answer. They didn't want testimony from Christ. They're just plain. Again, here's a continuation of the mockings, the scourging of the the mockeries of Christ in his scourging. If thou art the Christ, notice here that they even recognize that he claims to be the Christ, the anointed one. That's what his name means. It's not a name, it's a title. That Jesus is the anointed of God. He is the one set apart as the prophets foretold. He, indeed, is the one who is the Savior of sinners. He tells you, you will not believe. He tells them, you will not believe. And if I also ask you, verse 68, you will not answer me nor let me go. And notice what Jesus says here in his testimony. Striking prophecy of the coming glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hereafter, he knows he's going to be put to death. Hereafter, these events shall the Son of Man sit on the right hand of the power of God. Jesus here tells them, and they will see it, that after his death and after his resurrection, he will ascend unto his Father. And he will sit at the right hand of the power of God, waiting until that day that is appointed, that all of his elect from all of the nations of the earth will be brought in to that eternal kingdom. And so Jesus speaks here of his coming glory. He has been appointed as the Son of Man. We've seen this title, Son of Man, throughout the Gospel of Luke. There in Daniel 7, we see the title, Son of Man, referring to an exalted figure, Referred to one who is to be worshipped. Here this exalted figure. Described in Daniel. Speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here in this trial before the high priest. Jesus shows them the scriptures. Jesus reminds them. That the son of man is God's appointed king will sit on the right hand of God, that he has a position of authority and power, that he has a position reigning with the power of God. We will sing of that in Psalm 110. But here we see that he is the Son of Man, a title that shows that he's more than a man, but he is indeed God who has all authority in heaven and on earth. But notice verse 70. They said they all. Then said they all. Art thou then the son of God? Obviously they didn't understand the theology. And yet they are experts in the law. and the scriptures. Art thou then the son of God? Now some would make a distinction between son of man and son of God but both of them are titles that speak of the Messiah Lord Jesus Christ speak of him as God speak of him as fully God and fully man in one person so the high priest brings out the theology art thou then the son of God the question is if Jesus was not the son of God. And guess what? He would have said, no, you're not correct. I'm not the son of God. And yet he says to them, ye say that I am. He's not just simply, okay, you say it, I'm him. The, the, the language here that's used, ye say that I am, speaks of the fact that you're right. I am the son of God. Because immediately as he claims to be the son of God, they begin to immediately say, what need do we have any more of witness? We've heard from his own mouth. Again, in the Gospel of John, they condemn him, accuse him of blasphemy for claiming to be equal with God. And yet, here we see not only the future glory of Christ depicted, but we see a full confession by the Lord Jesus Christ of his Messiahship and of his divinity. And indeed, he is the Son of God. They immediately want to condemn him. At this point, he's already found guilty. What further need do we have of a witness? Oh, as we consider here the example Christ leaves for us in our afflictions, our trials, we find here... Beautiful Savior, a glorious Savior who died that we might be ransomed from our sins. The reformer William Farrell, in October of 1532, was condemned for blasphemy by the Roman church. The priest came to condemn him. And they said, he has blasphemed God. We need no other witnesses. He is worthy of death. And Pharaoh, who was exasperated, raised his voice and said, Speak the words of God and not those of the high priest Caiaphas. There he bears witness. To the fact that they did not speak the words of God. Is this man who faced humiliation your savior? Are you willing to identify with him? At the name of Jesus the mountains shake and tremble. At the name of Jesus the oceans roar and tumble. At the name of Jesus, angels bow. At the name of Jesus, the earth rejoices. At the name of Jesus, the people cry out in worship, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes. The name of the Lord. Let us confess his name. Let us give testimony to this one who died In our stead, let us bear testimony to the one who was without sin, who was innocent of all charges, who was not guilty. Let us boldly follow this one who suffered shame and guilt for our sins, the innocent man for guilty and ruined sinners. Oh, saints of God, all of us must confess that we all stand guilty before a holy God. That the heart of man is desperately wicked. That we go astray from birth speaking lies. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ willingly offered himself on our behalf and our response is often oh that's interesting sometimes our response is but but what about this or what about this or what about this we're looking for all the little details buried beneath the surface but are we seeing the lord jesus christ in all of his glory are we seeing this one who is the lover of our souls Are we seeing this one who is tender and compassionate towards sinners? Oh, I would plead with you this morning to look upon Christ, to see him in his glory, to see the one who was humiliated and rejected, who is triumphant and who is exalted as our king and as our priest. If you do not know this Savior... I would plead with thee this morning if the Lord would show mercy to thee if the Lord would open your heart that you would indeed come to the Lord Jesus Christ and find him to be a merciful and gracious savior may we pray Lord Jesus Christ we do come before thee this morning in awe and wonder at this savior who indeed loves sinners we cannot even fully fathom the depth of the suffering and the depth of the scourging the depth of the mockery that thou endured but you endured all of this for the sake of thy elect O lord we pray that thou wouldst have mercy upon us that you would give us eyes of faith that we might clearly see Christ. Give us hearts that would follow after him, who would be bold in their testimony, who would not be ashamed of Christ. O gracious Savior, we do give thee thanks for thy mercy and kindness and grace toward us. Hear our prayers and receive our thanksgiving, we ask in thy holy and gracious name. Amen.